This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Beth Lindop, and just days on from Klopp's kids toppling Chelsea to help Liverpool win a record-extending 10th League Cup, I'm joined by one of the Echo's finest young guns, Kiefer MacDonald. How are we, Kiefer? Very well. All the better for that introduction uh, and all the better for, for what happened at Wembley on Sunday, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, plenty to discuss. Another amazing day on the Jurgen Klopp and as you, as you say, it's just kind of beyond belief isn't it really what happened yeah it, it was an amazing day we were both there and I know you like like myself have been lucky enough the last few years to have experienced some incredible days following Liverpool Champions League finals winning the, the Premier League as well but for me that's got to be right up there on Sunday the context of, of what Liverpool achieved with the amount of players they had out and the players that helped get them over the line I mean it, it was just a remarkable feat wasn't it yeah absolutely I mean I think there's only a handful of games that I think you know, pick that, and it sounds weird, doesn't it? Because before the game, you're probably thinking, you know, at best, Liverpool, you know, win by you know one or two goals, and it's just a, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge trophy. It's like a momentum builder. Obviously, with the League Cup, it's what you make it. I mean, if you if you invest so much um, in terms of what Liverpool have with like youngsters and stuff, it's really nice to get to the final and give you know youngsters and fringe players that moment and that like occasion at Wembley. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I think if you get knocked out in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, yeah, there's a bit of disappointment. But in, in the long term, no one's really too bothered because, you know, normally you'd be going for Champions Leagues, Premier Leagues, FA Cups, whatever. But just the way it played out at Wembley on Sunday, I mean, everyone will obviously know what happened with, you know, the injuries and kind of what, what's been building for weeks now. It feels, I think it was 11 players were out before the before the final. Then obviously Graven Birch gets injured and, and the young kids come on. And uh, as you say, Beth, it was just, it was just incredible. And I think... I mean, Klopp compared the game against Luton in, in midweek to, to Barcelona, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. But after this, I, I think I really do think that is up there with with Barcelona in terms of its own context and its own circumstances. But I think the Barcelona game and, and probably the, just the Champions League final, given the magnitude of how big they were and what they allowed Liverpool to do the next season, I think they're the only two games of the, the Klopp era for me personally um, that I think that I think probably challenged the League Cup. I mean, as I said, the circumstances are incredible, and you know, James McConnell, Bobby Clark. And, and even Jaden Dance, how they all got stuck in and, and really played themselves into the occasion. And, you know, at best, I'm thinking, just get it to extra time and, and kind of lose graciously, you know, lose by a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, Chelsea bring on another 50, 60 million pound striker. Um, but as I say, the fact they, they they grew into the game so well and, and they really got a hold of it. And and then by the second half of extra time, they really did take the game to Chelsea. And, and they only really looked like one winner, didn't they, for the final 15 minutes. And obviously, Virgil van Dijk is his first final as Liverpool captain pops up, you know, after being denied earlier in the, in the game with that header, he scores almost an identical goal. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a really good afternoon, wasn't it? It was. And going back then to, to the first half, because... You know, there was a lot of disappointment before kickoff. I'll include myself in that when I found out that that none of the the three injury doubts, Mohamed Salah, Dominic Sabozlai, and and Darwin Nunes were going to be involved. It did feel like it was going to be a, a really difficult afternoon, a real opportunity for Chelsea to get a little bit of momentum going under Maurizio Pochettino. But in spite of that, I thought Liverpool actually started really well. They started yeah. better than I expected them to. They had a couple of chances. Luis Diaz as well on that left flank seemed to to really be be going at Chelsea and had a couple of early opportunities. Were you surprised by how strongly Liverpool started in the context of how many players they had out injured? I wasn't, I wasn't. I mean, I kind of just I like what you said. I mean, before the game, when they were reading out the the eleven and the benches, I, me and me mate had a bit of a laugh because the numbers it was like number ninety eight, Shane me like you know number seventy three, fifty six, you know forty two. I mean, it must have been the highest you know shirt numbers tally for a, for a bench in a, in a cup final ever. 
um, not just in the in the League Cup. I mean, probably in any final, really. Um, it was just incredible, and you almost kind of laugh to yourself. And the thing that I kind of hear about before kickoff is I, I thought the eleven was strong enough. It was just that I think nine of the eleven have, have, have played um, against Luton and mid. Well, started against Luton in midweek. It was only um, Robertson, wasn't it, and um, Canate who, who didn't. So I was kind of worried about that, and I just thought if they didn't get a goal before seventy minutes, I thought that's when Chelsea would, you know, really kind of not flex their muscle because I, I don't think they've got too many great players. That, I mean, you look at some of the transfer fees that have been kind of thrown around for some of those players, and you know, they're not great, are they? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the the experience that they have. Even players like Maduake, who you know haven't really kicked on at Chelsea, but they've you know got experience of playing European football and, and Premier League games, which Liverpool didn't really have on the bench apart from Costa Simicas and, and Joe Gomez. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of as I said, the first seventy minutes I didn't get a goal. I, I did worry, um, but as you say, they, they started really well. And, and and Diaz was it was a weird one because he, I thought he had such a good afternoon in, in, in terms of his effort. And I don't think he could him, but his decision making at times was was, mm-hmm. was was quite bad. And I mean, he he tees up the chance for for for. for for Cody Gakpo, I think he plays about to Robertson. He puts the cross in, um, and that kind of came through Diaz, you know, running at Gusto on the right. But I think in general, those times where he could have maybe cut inside more, or he, you know, he, he could have taken an extra. Sorry, he could have taken less touches and, and played the ball quicker on the overlap or whatnot. But for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, he was, I don't know if he was tired from from Wednesday night or what, uh, or whether it was just, I don't know. It felt like he was playing very within himself, and I think for the first half of the season. That was kind of a regular theme, you know. He's still getting back up to speed after that that injury last year. But I thought after that Newcastle game on on New Year's Day, he really kicked on and kind of looked like the Luis Diaz two years ago. Um, you know, where he's just electric and it can beat a man. I always remember the League Cup final against Chelsea in twenty twenty two, where I mean he had Reece James on toes for the for the full hundred and twenty minutes, whatever it was. Um, and it kind of kind of felt like we were going back to that. But I think on Sunday he he, he did struggle, and I'm, I'm not sure why. But he's I mean he's another one you can't fault his effort at all. Um, but yeah, Liverpool did really, you know, I think had the, the better of the ball. But I think that injury just kind of Chelsea grew in confidence because they were probably looking at Liverpool's bench and thinking, you know, if if, if they make changes, which they're going to have to because it's going to be an intense game, then they haven't really got options. But you know, we'll get onto the second half shortly. But you know, Chelsea didn't really didn't really go for the jugular, did they? They kind of missed the opportunity. And and as I say, Liverpool's kids, you know, Bobby Clark, McConnell. And all the rest, Jaden Dan's Quanse, they all they already grew in confidence. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that injury to Ryan Gravenberch really sort of shifted momentum into Chelsea's favour, and I think that was one of the strongest spells they had in the match after he went off on a stretch. And now Jurgen Klopp did a press conference this afternoon. He said that he's got some ankle lim- ligament damage, not as bad as first feared, perhaps not as bad as it could have been, but he is out for at least the next two day- two games, which is not what Liverpool needs at the moment, considering the other absentees they've got. Um, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because in the moment, I actually didn't see the, the tackle from, from Moises Caicedo, but watching it back, it was quite a nasty one, whether it was intentional, whether it was not intentional. I think the reasoning as to why VAR didn't intervene was because it, it wasn't a, it was an accident. His foot slipped. Um, I suppose Liverpool fans might argue that Curtis Jones yeah. against Tottenham, his foot slipped over the top of the ball. There was no malicious intent in that either. And, and that was punished. Do you think that is... Were you surprised to, to see that go and punish that? Yeah, challenge? I mean, I think those two, wasn't there? I think, um, I don't know if it was, I think Diaz went down as well. Someone that mm. went down just after Gravenberch, and then I think that's what eventually kind of stopped the game. But I mean, it's one of those at the time, you know, I was, I was in the top tier, so it was, you know, 
quite difficult to see mm-hmm. exactly how bad it was. But I think at half time, you know, people start seeing on the screens and, and on their phones and stuff. You kind of get word of it, and and Curtis, the Curtis Jones comparison comes up straight away. And I think it, that's happened a few times this season where there have been reckless challenges. I mean, there was one in the United game against Fulham, Maguire, kind of similar way, lunging for the ball, and he, you know, overstretched and he's high and he's he's reckless, and you know, for whatever reasons, the referees don't intervene and. I mean, not to to bring it back all the way to this, to September and, and that defeat to Tottenham, but that was a moment that could potentially end up costing Liverpool the title. Um, and it, it felt like if if Chelsea had gone down to ten men, I think Liverpool would have really gone for it then because they they probably knew their best chance was within ninety minutes. Um, and yeah, I think it would have would have completely changed the game. But I mean, Chelsea did have a few chances, didn't they, Beth? I mean. Uh, Palmer um, had that chance from close range and then it would mean it was a superb save from, from Cleveland Keller who stepped up again in a mm-hmm. cup final um, Endo as well I mean it was a, a great block to deny Jackson after that I mean just on Keller um, I mean prior to Christmas I was a bit unsure about him he played in a few of the Europa League games it's the most he's ever played in the season for Liverpool but I don't think his performances were, were necessarily up there with, with what they had been when he'd been you know dropped in a few years ago here and there on the cup runs um, certainly I remember the, the the 4-3 win against Fulham he was you know questionable for a few goals from set pieces he maybe didn't command his area as well as he should have but I mean, you know, with, with this young lad, whenever the bright, the light shine the brightest, he kind of always steps up, doesn't he? He was just, he was just brilliant, wasn't he? He was. He loves this competition, doesn't he? Which is, it is. We all do. Yeah, we all do. The best competition in club football. Um, but yeah, he was brilliant, and I think he has had a, a fair bit of criticism, hasn't he? These last couple of months, and even against Luton for Luton's goal, you know, he, he did get a little bit of flack for for that one. Um, Probably some of it is quite unfair because I think as as a goalkeeper that must be one of the most difficult positions to to come into the team when you've not been been playing. You know, in any other position, you, you may be afforded a little bit more time to sort of play yourself into the game and, and get used to the rhythm of playing in the team. Whereas a goalkeeper, you sort of thrust straight in there, and any mistake you make is likely to have pretty disastrous yeah. repercussions. Um, and I think it's it's no coincidence that his performances have improved since he's he's got a little bit of consistency and he's had a little run in the team. Um, and that's really heartening for Liverpool, especially considering it looks like Alison Becker's going to be out until at least the end of February. But just looking at it, some of his stats, because it was 2.95 goals prevented, um, which is, is an incredible amount. One of the highest, I think, um, on record, it was saying on, on Monday Night Football um, on, on on Monday. So um, incredible from him, nine saves across the, the whole game. Um, and it, it is really reassuring, isn't it, for Liverpool going forward now that they, they know they've got a goalkeeper between the sticks who's playing with a little bit of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the games that are coming up. I mean, obviously they've got the FA Cup game tomorrow. I mean, whether he will play in that, I'm, I'm not sure. They, they might throw Adrian into that just mm-hmm. to, to kind of minimise the risk of anyone getting injured. I mean, the way it's going at the minute, they're dropping like flies. But then you've got the game against Forest. You've got then the Europa League game, which again, Adrian could play. Um, and then it's all kind of, I think everyone circled that, that date with Man City on the 10th of March, which is, you know, one of those where, it, it you know, it has done in recent seasons, going to decide where the title goes. So, you know, to have your goalkeeper not only you know, being called into action as he was at Wembley and, and being able, you know, being equal to it. But I also think his, his distribution, which I think that's always kind of been one of his strong points, Kelleher, and what's kind of always pleased Klopp, hasn't it? The way that he can, you know, Alisson is one of the, the best in the world and his distribution is brilliant. But, you know, to have a number two, as you say, who, who can almost, you don't have to change your, your style of play at all if you're, you're a centre-back or, you know, Van Dijk or Canati or whatever. You've got complete trust. You don't have to change your game at all. You know, you're not taking goal kicks. You're not moving, I don't know, 20 yards up the field, whatever. You can play out from the back with confidence. And obviously we'll get into extra time shortly, but for the for the, for the the passage of play that resulted in, in the um, 
in the corners for Van Dijk's goal at the start of that. I mean, he, he plays the ball through two Chelsea attackers and Endo gets it on the half term and Liverpool are away. And, and as I say, eventually it, it kind of leads it to Liverpool's goal. Um, I mean, if that's another goalkeeper, does he punt it up the field? Does he waste time? Does he think, look, we'll just get to penalties now? But it's that kind of proactive nature. They're not being reactionary, are they? They're, they're kind of, you know, got that belief, which is what kind of Jurgen Klopp's whole nine years in, in charge of, have kind of really, you know, sent through the club, haven't they? It's, it's been that kind of reoccurring theme to to beat the odds, you know, whether it be Champions League semi-finals against Barcelona, to, you know, to, to go and win the Premier League, to, to go and win League Cups, FA Cups, to you know, even to beat Everton a few years, you know, sorry, sorry, Ian, our, our presenter there. <laughs> but, to, you know, to, they kind of dissimilar with so many academy kids out on that on, on that afternoon. So, you know, it just kind of shows that that kind of style of play, but that also that belief just, just runs through the club. Um, and just going on to, to Keller as well. I mean, in the second half, I think it was Chelsea's XG. I mean, it kind of dwarfed Liverpool's. It was one point five six, and obviously the big one, the, the big chunk of that, I imagine, was was Conor Gallagher's one on one. You know, later on, it, that was it. It was very Allison esque save. That wasn't it coming out making yourself big. It was huge, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he, just, he was a big lad, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, he had kind of beefed up a bit in, in recent years. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just, he, to come out so quick as well, he wasn't like he was hanging around on his line. He, he kind of saw that pass from Palmer come in and then he kind of almost makes Gallagher's mind up for him. He probably wants a bit of time to get the ball out of his feet and, and maybe you know, take a second touch and, and wrap it around the goalkeeper. But, you know, Keller is at his feet and he smothers him. Um, and yeah, it was just, just unbelievable. And it was it's so nice that he's had those moments because, he, you know, two years ago, you obviously played the, the League Cup final and uh, obviously, you know, scores the penalty and then, you know, Kepper, Kepper skies his and, and, and Kelleher gets the claims and then you know myself included maybe thought it was time for Liverpool to cash in on him it's not mm-hmm. going to get any better than that he's not going to have another final like that and okay it wasn't as you know uh, as those other people he shared the stage with on Sunday but it was just as heroic he, he more than played his part as, as so many of them did yeah definitely the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Another player who I thought was interesting on on Sunday was was Connor Bradley because he's he's earned so many plaudits and rightly so over the last couple of months. Um, he was playing in a little bit of a more unfamiliar role, wasn't he? When um, when Ryan Gravenberch goes off initially, he goes forward into midfield. Joe Gomez comes on at right back, and you could see he was sort of not struggling necessarily, but he wasn't impacting the game in the way that we've become accustomed to him doing out on the flank. And within sort of 10, 15 minutes, you know, whether that was something that he'd done naturally or whether it had come from the manager, he sort of moved on to the right wing, didn't he? And Elliot comes inside a little bit more into the midfield. What did you make of that and how Bradley did it in that game and, and sort of coped with all of the positional changes? I mean, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? And it was quite funny enough because I, I wrote something last week, um, I spoke to Barry Lutis, Liverpool under twenty ones manager, um, who was you know formerly the under eighteens manager one in in Connor's first season at the club, uh, and I also spoke to one of the elite uh, performance directors at the the Irish FA, and and he told a tale actually of when they won the the Victory Shield in in twenty eighteen. It would have been the under sixteens, and, and Connor Bradley was was the captain, and uh, he basically said for that tournament. Um, so it was Northern Ireland, Wales, England, Republic of Ireland, and he basically said for, for that tournament, you know, Connor was playing right wing, and he mm-hmm. and kind of kind of always had done because he was the best player. And you know, you kind of hear tales like that, don't you? With with a lot of players, they they normally start off as a striker, score loads of goals, they're the best player, but their county team, their school team, whatever, and then eventually they kind of move back, back and back. I mean, I think even Keller has said in the past that he was a, a striker at yeah. some point. Um, but with with Connor, you, um, you, you, this fellow was telling me that. Um, yeah, you know, that used to play on the, the right wing, and and they only kind of moved into right back in in the final of this competition because another lad got sent off, and you know they kind of just wanted to be a bit more compact and whatever. And we were just chatting, and I 
I mean, I couldn't really believe it because I was like, he doesn't, he's not a player who's got that, that silk of a, of a right wing. Mm-hmm. He's not got, I mean, he's got a brilliant touch, but in terms of like, you, you couldn't imagine him, you know, cutting inside and, and curling one with his left foot or whatever. Um, but I think he's so raw and he's just so impressive. And I think that's what's the, the beauty of him and Trent is, is that, you know, Trent technically is so polished and, and he's really nice on the eye. I mean, some of the, the kind of, the, the daisy cutter passes he does it, you know, to, to switch the play are amazing. And, you know, there's only a handful of players in world football who can do that. But then on the other side, I think, you know, Connor Bradley's so raw. He's, he's quite scrappy. He's, you know, he's, he's just relentless, isn't he? And, and Barry Lewis just kind of said something similar. He said, I think the reason Liverpool fans have, have bought into him, you know, apart from being an amazing player and, and having such a good start to his career is because I think when you watch him on the pitch, you kind of say, well, that's how I would play. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not the the most polished, but you'd give 110%. You'd run up and down each time. Um, you know, you just kind of die for the badge. And, you know, it's easier to say when you're sitting in the cop that, oh, you, you know, you'd give an extra 5 or 10%. But he really plays like someone who, who has done that. And as you say, I was really impressed with how he kind of got himself back involved in the game on the right. And he, you know, he gave Chilwell a, uh, you know, a, I mean, they both got booked for that scrap early on, didn't they? Yeah, um, I mean, look at, looking back, he did absolutely nothing wrong, Conor no, Bradley, didn't he? He did very well not to respond. But I suppose that's one of those rules that is upheld it's quite a lot in football, crazy, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's sort of both both players who, who are mainly involved in those disputes do get booked. But yeah, I, I thought he was very unlucky there. He was, and, and, and he was just relentless, wasn't he, really? And he kind of, as I say, Diaz, was his, his effort on the other side was, was brilliant and, and kind, of, kind of matched that on the right-hand side. And, you know, Gusto and, and Chilwell either, you know, right back and left back, they had a really torrid afternoon and I think Chilwell got, you know, taken off in extra time. And, I mean, it says a lot to kind of take off your captain, mm-hmm. Um for the afternoon and, and that's probably because Conor Bradley you know for, for 75 80 minutes gave him a really torrid afternoon and and then that allows the other lad to a comment on whether that be you know Bobby Clark James McConnell Jaden Dans that allows them to kind of build on that and you know when they're fresh legs and maybe they haven't got the the, the technical ability that a you know a seasoned pro would have you know, you know if you did have a, a Salah or a Sabozai or whatever but you know if they're just running full of energy which they were when they came on it, it kind of makes it really difficult for those fullbacks so you know full credit to kind of Bradley and you know after the last couple of weeks that he's had off you know off the field and you know it was just really nice to kind of see him have that moment which is as I say it's another thing about the League Cup it's it's what you make it and there's so many great stories in this Liverpool team at the moment you know you go right the way from the goalkeeper to you know to Connor Bradley to, to the young lads coming through it was just I think that's what made it it kind of built into that narrative that it was you know such a, a remarkable victory for Liverpool yeah absolutely and I think that versatility that Connor Bradley has now that ability to play on the wing when required of venture into midfield that's crucial to Liverpool particularly in light of all the injuries that they've got another player that I, I want to mention um in fact I could probably do a whole podcast yeah. just on him um, because he is, he's is he been an absolute can I, revelation. Can I, I, I think you're going <laughs> to guess the wrong player, but go on, who do you think I'm going to say? I feel like you're going to say Alexis McAllister, but you're going to say with Tara Wendell. I, I am indeed, yeah. I mean, Alexis McAllister, we'll reserve that for another day because I don't think we've got enough time to get into how much I love Alexis McAllister. Um, but with Tara Wendell, I mean, um, I was reading some some newspapers on, on Monday morning and reading some some player ratings, not Ian Doyle's player ratings, I must add. I think he gave Endo a nine. Um, but there was one in a, a national newspaper that, that gave him a six. Um, and the comment that they, they put alongside it was he was found wanting at times. I mean, I just can't can't see that. Obviously, play ratings are actually a, a very difficult task. I think everyone thinks that they could do better and everyone likes to disagree. But in the heat of the moment, sometimes you can find it quite difficult to to ensure that every player is given the, the, the correct score. But um, just looking at some of his stats from that game, so 91% pass accuracy, 89 touches, eight passes into the final third, 
two accurate long balls, four out of six tackles won, 12 out of 19 duels won. I mean, he's just an absolute warrior. And I think what epitomises him was, you know, at the full-time whistle, I think Jürgen Klopp said he, he couldn't walk. He was that stiff, I obviously. I, walk, to be honest. <laughs> I know. Our colleague, Paul Gorse, um, reported that he was leaving the stadium on, on crutches and in a protective boot. Um, Jürgen Klopp said in his, his pre-Southampton press conference that, He's potentially, you know, he's, he's being monitored. He took a real knock in that game, I think, from Moises Caicedo as well. Um, but he is just an absolute superstar, isn't he? Absolutely. And I'd, I'd like to go on record, actually, for the first time and, and hold my hands up and apologise because <laughs> I think I actually said it to you, Beth, before Christmas that I just I just wasn't, wasn't buying into him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, because of a lack of effort or anything at all. It was just I felt that he was kind of miles off the pace. Um, you know, when you look at who Liverpool were linked with last summer in, in that defensive midfield position and who they, you know, who they were trying to replace, and you know, even if you look at someone like Jordan Henderson and, and kind of the experience that he's accumulated over his, you know, Liverpool career, you're talking about a Champions League, a Premier League winning captain. You're then talking about Fabinho, who came in and was was probably like the the, the last slam dunk signing of the the Klopp era that allowed them to go on and, and you know be successful in the Champions League and, and kind of go on better. And then you had this lad coming in from um, from Stuttgart in the Bundesliga at the age of 30, 31. He, you know, he'd never played in European competition at all. He, you know, no one had ever heard of him. He wasn't like a a player you had heard of in, in in the top leagues. It was only kind of the the kind of the stats gurus in the Bundesliga who were saying, you know, he, he could be quite good. But and it was a bit of a slow burner, wasn't it? He, he you know, he, he made his name in the, those Europa League group games, and I think after Alexis McAllister got injured against Sheffield United in early December and. And then they had the games against Arsenal and, or Man United and then Arsenal. I think since then, he's, he's just kind of really grown in belief, hasn't he? And you can see that the players around him are really starting to trust him. As I say, there was the, the moment just before the, the, the goal um, in the corner. I mean, Endo gets it. As I say, there's two Chelsea strikers and, and you know, Van Dijk and Canato, Van Dijk and Kwanzaa pulled them either side and, and Endo receives a ball in the half turn. He's away. And that's another thing that I think he's really improved upon. And I don't think anyone can question his, his, love, his love for a tackle beforehand, but his ability on the ball and his composure on the ball and, and kind of speeding up his play. Mm-hmm. And we've heard, you know, Klopp talk about that with Curtis Jones in, in recent years. But, you know, for someone at the age of 31 to be kind of changing how they've played completely, um, I mean, now he gets the ball out of his feet and immediately he's looking left and right. He's, you know, where's Lewis Diaz? Where's Harvey Elliott? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was really key to Liverpool getting on top of Chelsea, I thought, in that second half of extra time because it would have been so easy for, for them to think, actually, our best bet here is probably penalties. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to, you know, as I say, they brought on Maduake, you know, they had Cole Palmer. There's so many players who could catch the ball out on the break. They had that scare with Conor Gallagher later on in, in normal time when he nearly scored. But Endo was kind of drive, the driving force behind that. I was like, no, look, we're going to play. We're going to, you know, really trust these young lads and, as I say, you look at him midfield with James McCollum, Bobby Clark, and I mean, he just—he was just kind of that reassuring base to say, "Go on, lads." You know, he was like a proud dad, wasn't he? He was mm-hmm. like, "Go on, lads, go and do your thing. I'll, I'll kind of sit here and cover all this. You just go and you know make, make that difference in the final third." And I mean, what a turnaround! Again, we go back to, to narratives and, and the League Cup and stuff. It, it really is what you make it. And I think another story is, is Endo, isn't it? As I say, you could probably go through the whole team and pick out a, a story for each individual, but he's another one who. You know, even when he was going to the to the Asia Games last month, everyone was like, oh, "We are going to miss him." And he's come back, and you know, he's played an awful lot of football, but he's come back, and he's he's really looking now that like he can 
spearhead or certainly help Liverpool if they are going to be successful in these final few months. Yeah, I think it's really important as well, like you say, to highlight how good he can be on the ball because I think we sometimes maybe do him a disservice by talking about how he does the simple things well and how he's a good tackler, which he is, and it's important to, to mention that. But also I think his quality, his ability to pick a pass is something that's really surprised me and it is a reason why he's become such a, an integral part of the of this Liverpool side. And I think only the, for the fact that Alexis McAllister comes in for you know, a relatively modest fee in, in modern football terms and has been as brilliant as he has done. I think only he can pip him to sign in of the season for, for Liverpool for me. Um, I suppose the one negative from, from Ando's point of view from that performance on Sunday was that he inadvertently causes Virgil van Dijk's goal to be chalked off in, yeah. in the second half. Very um, I mean, in the Very moment, gosh. I had absolutely no idea what, what had happened. Obviously, go back and, and watch why that goal was ruled out and it was because... Endo had been in an offside position blocking or allegedly blocking Levi Colwell from getting to Virgil van Dijk. I mean, obviously we're, we're biased, we're looking at it from a Liverpool perspective, but I just don't think that for the sake of modern football, you want goals like that to be ruled out. No, not in a cup final. I mean, that probably highlights the, that's probably the, the, the biggest one that there probably has been over the last few years. I mean, you get them, you know, in the league games, the cup games, whatever, and you can kind of take it on the, you know, take it on the chin and think, well, you might get that back over the course of a, you know, a 38 game season or whatever. But in a cup final like that, when, you know, everyone's celebrating this pandemonium and then all of a sudden you've got, you know, some fella drawing a little TV with his hand and he goes over to the monitor and then, I mean, it's not even like the Chelsea players appealed for it at all, and and there was you know kind of any any protest really. It was it was kind of one of them, and then as soon as you know it comes up on the screen, VAR checking progress, and the Chelsea players chill well, they're all over to the ref saying, "Hang on, I don't even know, I don't even think they know what they were appealing mm. for." Um, but as you say, it was it was really harsh. I think the ball had gone over Colwell's head, and I don't think there was any chance he was getting to that. Um, but I just look at it from the, the point of view of you know Chris Cavanaugh. He's probably thinking. Yeah, it's probably not going to be a high-scoring game between Liverpool and Chelsea. It was obviously, you know, midway through the second half. You probably don't want a cup final to be decided on a on a contentious goal like that. And I think that probably sums up the state of mod- modern day football, doesn't it? That you know, referees are kind of over scrutinising everything to to kind of think of the the repercussions after it. Um, but as I say, it was again so fitting that Van Dijk was the man to pop up. Um, and, and score the winner, you know, half an hour later or so. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it comes back to that idea of VAR's not been brought into to re-referee games, and that was, I, I think, a, yeah. a re-refereeing of the game. I think referees um, know now that they have, they almost have a safety blanket of they don't have to make the big calls anymore. Um, I mean, for for instance, the it's to, to, to take it back. I mean, Sterling's goal. I mean, it's a brilliant call from the linesman. Mm-hmm. To, you know, he, he flags doesn't he as soon as Sterling puts it in the back of the net for, for Jackson being offside, and that's one of them where you think, you know, on the big stage at Wembley, he's he's really you know kind of put his neck on the line there, and he's got the call right. I mean, I saw it back. I mean, at the time, I didn't think it was offside, but you see it back, and it's you know, yeah, it's, it's so millimeters, yeah. but he is offside by the laws of the game, and and that's what you want. You want referees to stand, you know, to stand tall and, and make these decisions. But one, I suppose, when it's uh, you know. When they've got this safety net of VAR, um, they are going to let it go and then let the the, the VAR do the, the re-refereeing for them. Yeah, and as you say, some moral justice was was served oh, with um, with Virgil Van Dijk scoring the the winner deep into into added time. 
I mean, I've seen Virgil deliver some incredible performances for Liverpool over the years. I'm not quite sure any of them stand out to me as much as that one on Sunday. It was the epitome of, of a captain's performance. Again, 91% pass accuracy, two chances created, um, a goal, three tackles won, three out of three ground duels won, four out of seven aerial duels won, two interceptions, seven clearances. Um, it, just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. And I think my favourite stat to come from, from the game um, on Sunday was that it means that Virgil van Dijk has now scored in 21 games for Liverpool and they've won every single time that he's scored. It's the most games a player has ever scored for Liverpool while winning 100% for winning 100% while scoring in games. So incredible sort of example of, of him taking a game by the scruff, scruff of the neck and, and leading by example. What did you make of, of his performance? I mean, he was colossus, wasn't he? I mean, I mean, I saw someone after the game, I think it might have been Chris Baskin from the Telegraph, he, he said it was the, the best captain's performance for Liverpool in a final since you know, 2005. I think he may be doing Gerard against West Ham a year later, <laughs> a bit of a disservice there, but I mean, it was one of the all-time great performances from a, from a Liverpool captain. I mean, he just... Especially again, it's it's the context of it all, isn't it? In in terms of they had so many young lads around them, so you had the you needed the big players, the leaders to step up, and and no one kind of did that more than Van Dijk, and especially to, towards the end of or in in early extra time, Canate had been booked. I think McConnell had been booked in front of him as as well shortly after. So you know Chelsea are playing on the break. You've you've got a really attack minded young side out there. You've got you know Endo who's absolutely run himself into the ground. You've got a young Gerard Quancy next year. You've got a Costa Simicas who loves to go forward, and you're just holding the fort again. Just saying, bring it on, lads out. You know, I'll deal with everything. And he just absolutely, you know, whether it was in the air, whether it was on the floor, whether it was a, a ground or whatever, he absolutely just ate everything up. And, and Chelsea couldn't get any change out of him all afternoon. I mean, everything that came into him, he just dealt with. It was, I mean, people are saying that he's, he's back to his best and, you know, pre injury. I, I wouldn't go as say as that far because I think pre injury, I, I don't think anyone probably in the Premier League era for, for a, you know, a couple of seasons is getting getting near the levels that he set. Um, and I, I think 21, 22, I think people forget how good he was. And I think last season we probably saw an effect of he played so many games after returning from injury. Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool played 63 in, in all competitions, which is the most he'd ever played. Um, and I'd probably, you know, have a guess that Van Dyke probably started, you know, 40, 48, 49, 50 of those. Um, and that probably, as I say, had a knock-on effect last year of why he kind of looked so lethargic and he just wasn't engaging in tackles the same way. I don't think his body language was right. Um, and, and you know, you tie that in with the midfield that was in front of him. They clearly weren't right either. There, you know, there wasn't a great deal of legs there. Henderson Fabinho struggled as well. There was there was chopping and changing. Those young lads have been brought in. But this season, I mean, taking the mantle on of, of being Liverpool captain, he, he's done... I mean, I can't really, you can't really put it into words. You can't really quantify it because it's a thing's... It's the thing that you can't quantify that he's done so well at, you know, making others around and feel so comfortable and, and kind of elevating everyone's game. I mean, not to do anyone else, uh, you know, put a slight on anyone else, but I don't think the rest of the team and the young lads would have performed like that if they didn't have a, a you know, a Van Dyke kind of, you know, shepherding them through that game the other day. And as I say, when we when we look back at it at the end of the season, you know, I'm sure this game, as it was a few years ago, will, will be one of where well, they've got a trophy in the bag for the end of February for the start of spring kind of thing. This could lead on to great, you know, bigger and better things. And you know, you imagine if Liverpool are going to win the Premier League, Van Dijk's going to be key to that between now and the end of the season. If they are going to win the Europa League and the FA Cup, you know, Van Dijk will be key to that. Um, I mean, I just, I just struggle to think of a, a better individual performance. I'm just trying to, to rack my brains. I mean, the obvious ones are Thiago against United. <laughs> Aren't they? So sorry I knew you were going to get Thiago in there. But that, that was that was one of my favourite performances ever from from a Liverpool player. Obviously, you get further, but you've got Nor Suarez against Norwich. I mean, mm. take your pick of any of the seasons. Um, Salah at Old Trafford. Yeah, there's mm. so many big performances, but that will be one that kind of 
you know, it's, it's kind of season defining that because what it could, what it could lead to. Um, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you agree, don't you? Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's not the not the last trophy he's going to lift for Liverpool this yes. season. Um, but yeah, just totally imperious, and I think him being on the pitch enabled Liverpool, as you say, empowered those younger players to to be able to to attack with a confidence and a conviction um, that Chelsea were sorely lacking. And I think, you know, maybe his form, his dip in form last season was symptomatic of the fact he was playing in a Liverpool side that were really lacking confidence. And I think now this Liverpool team is the complete opposite of that. I think they they feel that any player who's on the pitch can go out and win them a game. And I think that's so crucial. Um, there has been plenty of of discourse over the past few days over, you know, I think it was, was Gary Neville, wasn't it, on, on Sky Sports who came out with what I imagine might be a, an infamous line of Klopp's kids versus the blue billion pound bottle jobs. It's been labelled as being it's quite... It's a great line. It is a great line. Um, definitely not off the cuff. He's <laughs> no. had that one written down for some time. But, um, you know, Maurizio Pochettino said it was it was quite unfair. I think quite a few people have said it was quite a harsh way of, of analysing Chelsea's performance um, and the cynics have been very quick to point out that Chelsea's average age in, in, in the starting 11 and, and at the end of the match as well was was younger than Liverpool's. Um, Chelsea started the match um, with a starting 11 with an average age of 23.9 years. They ended the match with an average age of 22.6 years. Liverpool, by comparison, started with a starting 11 age, with an average age of 25.8 years and ended the match with an average age of 24.1. So, you know, the stats obviously don't lie. They did have a, a younger squad. Um, it's the context. Though, the, but it's it, the context. And, and I think that's why that's such a, a poor way, really, of, of assessing those two sides because... Yes, Chelsea had a lot of young players, but those are young players that have been brought in for big fees, that have been brought in because of their they're proven at you know at a high level across Europe. Yeah. Um, whereas a number of Liverpool's players hadn't made the the debut for the club, the senior debut for the club, until this season, which is what makes what they did so remarkable. And I think the the vast majority of of fans, even Chelsea fans, would have to concede that. You know the the inexperience that Liverpool had um, makes that win even more impressive. But I think it, it does go back to the whole you know the the leadership that that Van Dijk brings, that Enzo brings, because I think Chelsea Chelsea's biggest issue is they've spent a lot of money on players who have the potential to be world class one day, but they're not supported by a spine of players who already have that quality and experience. And I think that was the, the real difference between the two teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to kind of pick up on your point there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The key kind of comparison, if you like, is is kind of Gusto, uh, you know, Chelsea's right back and, and Conor Bradley. I mean, they're both the same age, both 20 years old, but, you know, Gusto cost Chelsea thirty million from Leon, and I think he'd already played fifty games for them before before moving to Chelsea. Meanwhile, Conor Bradley spent last year at, at League One. The season before that, he was you know playing in the UEFA Youth League, the FA Youth Cup, you know the Premier League too. Um, and you know he's he's played less than fifteen games for Liverpool. Yeah, he's had international recognition with Northern Ireland, but it's a completely different kind of kettle of fish to to what Gusto has been been used to. You know, not only this season, but but prior to Chelsea. Um, you know, Caicedo is another one. You know, twenty one years old, and I mean. It's, that's, a, that's a younger age than when Gerard established himself at Liverpool but this is a player who's played at Brighton for two and a half years he's got Premier League experience he's, he's the most expensive signing in Premier League history so yeah on the face of it he might be he might be younger or the same age as a Ryan Gravenberch but clearly the experience levels there are just are just worlds apart um, 
I think it, I think that was kind of I think it will be a fair assessment of Chelsea to be fair because uh, you know there are some good talented players in that side. I mean, you, you look at Conor Gallagher who's had a good season. You look at Cole Palmer who's done really well. Um, but it just feels like very much they have you know kind of square pegs and round holes, and they they've almost bought individuals. And I'm not really sure what they're striving to achieve at Chelsea. And I mean, I do feel sorry for Pochettino because it feels like he you know he wins a few games. I mean, last month they they got battered at Anfield four one. Um, they then lose to to Chelsea. Uh, sorry, lose to Wolves four two. Um, then they have a decent result at Palace. Then they have another decent result against Man City. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like three steps back, and they're the back to square one. So I do feel sorry for Pochettino in 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 that sense. And I don't think it's a, an indictment of of him as a manager. I think it's more Chelsea as a club and the position they find themselves in. Because I mean, you you look at. You know, I mean, just got their starting eleven up now. I mean, I'm not sure how many of those players will be there in three years' time. I mean, Colwell, yeah, probably Caicedo, Fernandez will stick with them. Sterling won't be there. Conor Gallagher could go in the summer. Cole Palmer, I mean, you'd imagine he'd be there, but would he jump at the chance to move mm. if, if something bigger and better came up? Nicholas Jackson. There's so many unproven players that I mean, it's not like the, the players who've come from the academy and you can maybe bide your time with them. They're 40, 50 million quid players. Um, you know, I mean, you've got Mudrick, Mudrick coming off the bench who costs 80 million pounds, which is just absolutely mental um and yeah you know he's got got a bit of pace about him but you know an 80 million pound you know player you know like van dyke was for liverpool he wins you the cup final Mm -hmm. you've got mudrick coming off the bench i mean that's just a difference of where the the two clubs are at at the moment and you know even with as i say the youngsters who came on bobby clark who again he's he's only really kind of got his teeth stuck into the first team you know from last month same with Connor bradley james mcconnell he's only had a few games Jaden dan's made his debut four days earlier but they were just able to kind of, you know, rally by Van Dyke, rally by Endo McAllister, all those players. They were able to go one better and, and say, you know, this is what we're about. They they stood tall and put puffed their chests out and, you know, they got exactly what they deserve. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned James McConnell there and he was someone who, who really did impress me coming on in in, the, in extra time. Um, I mean, just looking at some of his stats and, and how he ranks amongst all the substitutes that came on against Chelsea. So he was first for the amount of passes, first for the amount of final third passes, second in terms of passing accuracy, second in terms of touches as well so incredible and again shows that these young players are coming on and they feel empowered to be able to be brave on the ball and they're not just passing it backwards or shying away or hoping they don't make a mistake they come on and they're not afraid to try and impact the game and I think you you mentioned it earlier in the build-up to to Van Dyke's goal the corner is is obviously won by Bobby Clark wins that corner and Jaden Dans and James McConnell involved in the build-up as well that's really heartening that must be really heartening for Jurgen Klopp to see that those young players they're not just coming on and making up the numbers they're really contributing to, to what Liverpool are doing yeah absolutely and I mean I I put something on Twitter yesterday, which, I mean, from the outside ins, you know, you you look at it and you think James McConnell, Bobby Clark, and and Jaden Dans are kind of the the main figureheads of that side on, on the, the, the kind of the academy figureheads. Um, you know, they've only kind of made their debuts in you know recent or had a prolonged spell in the first. I mean, in recent weeks, and you know, people on the outside might look at it and think, well, it was just a lucky roll of the dice from Liverpool. But I mean, Klopp's, I mean, I mean, Bobby Clark is. is Dad Lee did an interview with, with Talksport this morning, and where he said, um, you know, he, he moved into the first team changing room six months ago, which it just shows that all this has been planned. And and yes, you know, Liverpool would never have planned for them all to, to kind of play such a huge part in the final because you know Liverpool have even half of the the kind of injured players they had. I don't think they would have had much of an, you know, much of much game time on Sunday, but those kind of foundations have been laid in, in place over, you know, not only this year, but over the last nine years since Klopp's been here, where young players are able to step up. Um, you know, you, you look at, you know, you go all the way back to 2015, you look at the players that come through. Um, 
Pedro Chavea and, and and especially now like more recently, um, you know, you've had like Curtis Jones, Trent Alexander Arnold, and, and they've kind of all taken that path steadily and then they've all, you know, gone on to become really big players for Liverpool. Um and as I say, it's a it's a credit to Klopp to, to not only the the kind of how welcoming he's been and the belief also the environment he's created that these players are able to just go out there and play the normal game I mean I think McConnell I remember his first touch on the halfway line I think he he had two Chelsea players breathing down his neck and he, he takes a really heavy touch and remember there was a few people behind me who was like oh and then after that you, you're thinking oh you know next time he gets the ball but he kind of just built on kind of grew and grew and grew and as I say for the for the court, for the court, the corner they win. Um, I mean, Carragher did some brilliant analysis on it last night on Monday Night Football, and I think Dan's kind of scoops the ball around the corner. It comes into McConnell, and then Clark's you know kind of lurking in that kind of left-sided half space, and he's pointing to his to his right foot where he wants the ball to take it on the inside. Um, and I mean, it's just it's just brilliant. It's and I think Carragher, you know. It was an indictment of Chelsea. Chelsea said that Liverpool were able to get comfortable mm-hmm. with the youngsters. You know, someone probably should have gone through the back of them. I mean, but the, the fact they kind of grew into the game and, and McConnell makes that challenge, doesn't he, in, in the second half extra time, the professional foul, which I think deserves a statue in itself outside <laughs> the cup, how, how kind of instrumental it was. I mean, I remember last year when they played Real Madrid and I think it was for the fourth or fifth goal, whatever it was. And um, I think Modric, a 37-year-old Luka Modric, was, was running with the ball and I think you had like Besetic, Fabinho, and whoever out chasing him, and everyone was just screaming, like, you know, yank him down, pull him down. And no one kind of had that kind of now, so wanted to take one. But, you know, McConnell comes on yesterday at Wembley Stadium, and, you know, he's, he's running towards his own goal, and he just kind of, kind of took someone back. And as I say, that just kind of sums up how confident they are and, and, and ready to play their part. So, you know, it's a massive credit, not only to them, but, you know, Klopp and. and it kind of it feels like if if this is the last trophy the winner the clock brain it, it kind of it's it's very suitable I think isn't it very fitting yeah I think one one thing that's really important because the club deserves an enormous amount of credit for for what they've done and and that pathway from the academy up to, academy up to the first team. Um, Jurgen Klopp is obviously leaving, but it's not just him, it's his backroom staff as well. We know Pep Linders has been very vocal in terms of integrating those young players into the first team environment, but also Vita Matos as well, the club's elite development coach. That's going to be a huge blow, isn't it? There's probably some of those those players in the academy that are, are worrying maybe a little bit for, for the future, thinking, you know, we hope someone comes in and, and trusts us as much as this current crop of, of manager and backroom staff do. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I suppose that the reassuring thing is that you know, the lads who are coming through now and, and you know there's plenty more to come you've got the likes of Kieran Morrison you know Trent Conan Doherty um, you know you've got Josh Davidson you've got you've got loads of young players coming through and the ones who have already made the step up as I say whether you go back to as far back as Trent Alexander-Arnold Curtis Jones you know the lads coming through now they've all no one's disappointed no one's let Liverpool down and um, that was that was kind of my only one worry on Sunday if it went to penalties I mean, penalties is an absolute lottery anyway, but it, you just didn't want it to fall on one. Yeah, of you would have felt for one of those young players if, if they'd have cost Liverpool the trophy. Because wouldn't... then you feel like even though Klopp would have, you know, fronted it and said, it, you know, it's not his not his fault or whatever, whoever missed it. But you think deep down that might have, you know, might, might have set them back a bit. And, you know, how do you deal with that as a young lad to, to kind of prepare with that? Um, but as I say, in, in terms of, you know, players coming through the academy, I mean, that was what, as I say, when I spoke to Barry Lutis last week, he was, he kind of, I said to him, he must be immensely proud of you know how many, so many of his players have come through and you know and you know fifty, sixty appearances for Liverpool, but he was kind of quick to kind of put the praise on on you know Pep Linders for acting as well as like Vito Massas as a link between mm-hmm. the academy and the first team and kind of keeping on top and informing Klopp who's kind of ready to make the jump and yeah it's 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 you know it's it really is incredible a position that Liverpool are in because. You know, it's it's kind of sad on one hand that that Klopp's going to be leaving and and all the memories that we've we've kind of enjoyed over the last nine years, but at the same time, I think it's really exciting. And I think you know, if you can get a young manager in, 
whether that be Xavi Alonso or Ruben, Ruben Amiron. I mean, they're going to be licking their lips, aren't they, and rubbing their hands at the, the thought of managing some of these players for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, because, as I say, you've, you've got you're not, you've got a spine there, essentially. I mean, you look at Canate, um, still young. You've got the likes of Gravenberch, McAllister. You've got, you know, Elliot. Um, you know, just so many young players. And then you throw the, the, the lads in, Kwanzaa as well from the, the weekend. Bradley, even Trent's still young. It is just a really exciting proposition. And as I say, that's credit to, to Klopp and Vito Matos, Pep Linders and all of those at the club who have kind of put those foundations in place. Yeah, definitely. And those young players might be needed again in, in the coming weeks. I mean, the games are coming thick and fast for Liverpool. They've got Southampton in the FA Cup in midweek. Um, Nottingham Forest away on Saturday, which will be a, a really tough game as well. Then they've got Sparta Prague away in the Europa League. And of course, that massive one against Manchester City at Anfield on the 10th of March. Um, Jurgen Klopp today, sort of a, a mixed bag of, of injury news, really. I mean, Dominic Saboslai, Mohamed Salah, Darwin Nunes continued to be monitored ahead of that game against Southampton on Wednesday. Would you be tempted if they are fit to start them or do you think it's a case of, you know, try and save them for, for the Premier League and, and whatever happens in the FA Cup happens? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's, it'd be a, it's a huge ask, isn't it, to kind of dust everyone down from the weekend. I mean, Klopp said earlier that they didn't train yesterday. It was only the really young lads, you know, probably some of the lads who didn't get on at the weekends and, and the under-21s who trained yesterday. They'll have a session today, of course, on Tuesday, of course, before Wednesday's game. Um, but it will be a huge ask to kind of ask those lads, you know, 15, 16 of them who played at the weekend to kind of go go again. Um, I mean, it is Aaron Field, so you kind of got that, you've got that, you know, advantage, if you like, but... I just think for the, for the sake of playing a championship side, I would I'd probably leave Salah to Bosley. And I mean, I'd, I would involve them, of course, if, if they're you know fit enough to be on the bench. You don't know when you might need a match winner or something like that. But even just to get them to 15, 20 minutes at the end, and then you probably play them against Forest if you can, you know, half, I don't know, half the game, whatever, 60 minutes. Um, again, you probably you leave them out in the Europa League. I think you could probably patch up a team to, to kind of go to Sparta Prague and, and, and to get a decent result there. I mean, it's just all about getting them back fit for City isn't it because you know that's going to be a game I feel that will decide the title and just making sure that they're not thrown into that City game you know after three or four weeks out um, you know in, Sal- in Salah's case a bit longer it's about you know making sure that they are match sharp and they've got rhythm um, so that is that is really important so you know if they are about tomorrow to play you know sometime fair enough but I wouldn't be rushing them back at all no I don't think I don't think the the, the reward is, is worth the risk kind of thing yeah I would agree with you on that one I mean just finally then obviously Liverpool have one trophy in the bag now and we've spoken a lot you know on this podcast on, on Blood Red as well about how this trophy can be used as, as a springboard to, to take Liverpool into the rest of the season do you think the quadruple is still on or do you think Liverpool's injuries could be, be detrimental in, in the search for more trophies? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I always think Liverpool are a better side when they're playing every three days. Uh, you know, we've seen that after international break, sometimes they struggle to get up to speed instantly. But I feel, you know, certainly going back to the, the two seasons ago when it was kind of Saturday, Tuesday, you know, Sunday, Wednesday kind of thing, I thought Liverpool were at their best and they had a squad to kind of complement that and rotate across... Across all competitions, I suppose the reassuring thing is that they they haven't got a Champions League, you know, last sixteen side. They're not playing Real Madrid. They're not playing, you know, a, a massive European side. You know, no disrespect to, to any Sparta Prague fans that might be listening <laughs> to this podcast, but um, you would expect that Liverpool can make you know plenty of changes in both legs, and then you, you could even say again in the quarterfinal should they get through. Um, 
as I say, ask me after that City game. But I think I think at the moment they've got as good a chance as anyone. But it'd just be a, a real shame if they they kind of got to twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven games, and then these injuries are the other things that kill them. You'd rather them them lose it, you know, by having a bad run or whatever. But you know, if it's if it's young lads who are who are playing him you know, for the majority of the games for the next couple of weeks, that, that could prove, hopefully it doesn't prove costly, but if it does, I think it'll be a really disappointing disappointing way for it to, to kind of end. But I think at the moment, you know, the fans are chances against Southampton. You win that, you're, you're one game away from a Wembley semi-final in April. Um, and the league, as I say, you know, you beat City, you're four points clear of them with, what, 10 games to play. Mm-hmm. So, well and truly on. I'll, I'll throw you the same question, Beth. Yeah, I think injuries are... <sighs> They're, they're quite daunting at the moment, aren't they? And I think Liverpool certainly can't afford to lose anyone else. And we've seen a couple of times, haven't we, in, in the last few weeks, players have come back from injury and very quickly picked up knocks and, and niggles and been ruled out again. So I think when Darwin Nunes and Mohamed Salah and Dominic Sabazlai come back, hopefully, touch wood, they stay fit um, and they're able to, to really, you know, drive this team on towards the, the run-in and the end of the season. Um, but fingers crossed, there'll be, be no more injuries. Liverpool will continue flying they'll be propelled on by the, the Carabao Cup win um, and we'll be back in a, a couple of weeks time to, to dissect just before the City game just before see. the City game yeah so that, to, to dissect um, a busy couple of weeks for the Reds but for now thank you very much for listening to Analyzing Anfield You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo